following Christ should impact every part of our lives. In fact, I'll tell you, if we are truly following Christ, there should be no part of our lives left unaffected by our relationship with Jesus. Now, this past week, we've talked about, I've talked about being Jesus-centric as believers that we are Jesus-centric, that everything we do is focused on, is founded on the person of Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to think about that tonight. As believers, what we do is different because of what Jesus did. As believers, what we have is different because of what Jesus gave. As believers, who we are is different because of who Jesus is. And this relationship that we have in Jesus, with Jesus, changes absolutely everything in our life. Well, here is a strange truth, and I'll just tell you, in this day, and the days that I believe are coming, it is a needed truth. Here is something we need to understand. Our following Christ brings us many things. We've talked about some of those things uh, in this study. Our following Christ brings us many things. And one of the things that it brings us is suffering, is suffering. Tonight, we're going to talk about that subject. Tonight, we're going to look at that subject. Tonight, our verses are found in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through the end of the chapter, verse 25. 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. Tonight, our message is entitled, The Suffering Servants of the Suffering Servant. The Suffering Servants of the Suffering Servant. Again, 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning tonight in verse 18. I'm going to ask if you would, if you would stand with me in the reverence and the honor of the reading of God's Word. 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in the 18th verse. It says this, Servants... Be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor. If for the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is, is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right, and suffer for it, you, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep. But now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come today. We're thankful for this opportunity. We're thankful for a chance to come together to, to sing your praises, to fellowship with other believers. We're thankful 
for the word of God that we know is living, that speaks to us. And so we come tonight and we come with a sense of expectation. And Lord, I pray that you would truly speak. And I pray that it will be your message. I pray that it will be your voice that we hear. And I pray that it would shape us tonight, that it would lead us tonight. Some of us, that it would comfort us tonight. And I pray, Lord, that the fruit of it is we would draw closer to you. I pray for some that are hearing tonight that do not know our Savior, Jesus, that do not have peace, that are here listening without hope. I pray that in the hearing of the gospel, the hearing of good news, the hearing of a risen Savior, that this very night, this very hour, Lord, that they might trust you and in faith find salvation. Lord, we just come and again, we praise you. We thank you, we exalt you, and I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Here at the end of chapter two, Peter has been instructing these believers. The last couple of nights, we've been seeing this. He has been instructing them in how to live in a lost world, how to live in a lost culture. Now, that's a hard thing. Uh, they're not in the midst of like-minded people, but people that do not think the way they do. And so he has been instructing them in how to live in a lost culture. Because God loves them, because God has a plan for them, we find, and the Bible tells us, that it is then that he instructs them. Well, I want to tell you tonight, it is the same for us. In the love of God and in the grace of God, he instructs us as well. So here we've assembled. Maybe you're listening some other way. It is because of the love of God and the grace of God that he instructs us as well. Now listen, he also has a plan for us. We've already seen that. As believers, as a follower of Jesus Christ, God has a plan for you. Well, in his grace, in his love, he is instructing us. Tonight, as we jump back into our verses, Peter is continuing in his instruction. We left off and he was instructing. We pick back tonight and he continues in his instruction. We start back tonight in verse 18. Let me start off reading verse 18. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. Now, verse 18 is actually written to slaves. It's actually written to slaves. The Greek word there is for household slaves. That word translated in our Bible servants, it is for a household slave. Now, I want to say this, and I want you to be sure and hear this. Uh, we need to be clear of this. The Bible does not endorse slavery. The Bible does not command slavery. The Bible nowhere calls for slavery. However, it does address the subject of slavery. There are some folks that say, well, why did God call for this? Why did God use this? Listen, God never commands, God never endorses slavery, but he does address the issue of slavery. Now watch this. In this day, when they received this letter, what would happen, what should happen if a person who is a slave, uh, in this case a household slave, accepts Christ. 
Now, sometimes we don't think that way, but, but here they are. They're a slave, in this case a household slave, and they hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. They hear the good news of a risen Savior, and they receive Jesus by faith. Well, then the question becomes, how do they live? What do they do? What would their response be now as a Christian slave? Well, Peter actually addresses it. He tells them this, be submissive to your masters. That's what he says, be submissive to your masters. He says, with all respect. Now, what that means in its entirety is this, work hard, be respectful, do the right thing. Now, it says here, not only to those who are good and gentle. Now, some, and I think many, counted their household slaves as family. They had close relationships. They counted them as part of their household. They were under their roof. And so they had close relationships with them. But it says not just for them, but also to those who are unreasonable. Now, the word here for unreasonable means crooked, unfair, or to take advantage of. And so these are crooked masters. They are ones that would take advantage of the servants, of the slaves. Now, I want you to see there is a pattern that is developing here for a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, we saw it last night. We've actually seen it two nights. It builds again tonight. There is a pattern developing for a follower of Jesus Christ, and that is this. Do the right thing in all circumstances. That's what we see again here tonight. Do the right thing in all circumstances. Be excellent in your behavior. That's what we saw last night. In all situations, we saw it, it honors God and it points to Jesus. Well, you can come along and say, well, this isn't fair and this isn't right. This is not what I deserve. I don't like this situation. And so I'm going to respond in a different fashion. No, listen, as a Christian, we do the right thing. As a Christian, we're to be excellent in our behavior in all situations because it honors God and it points to Jesus Christ. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. Verse 19, for this finds favor, if for the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. Listen to verse 19 again. For this finds favor. If for the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. It says this finds favor. That word favor means kindness, the kindness of God. Blessing, the blessing of God. This thing brings the blessing of God. It brings the kindness, the favor of God. Now, that thing is this. If because of how you hold God, how you value God, how you see God, you bear up. Now, that word for bear up means to get under the weight, and more than that, to stand under the weight. If you stand up bearing the weight under the sorrows when suffering unjustly. Now let me paint the picture for you. Here's what this means. You love God and you desire to honor God and you value him so much so 
that you stand up under suffering, even undeserved suffering. You do not deserve this suffering. You haven't earned this suffering. But because you want your response to honor God, for his honor, you bear up under it. Verse 20. For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. Now, I want to I clarify something right here. Sometimes it needs saying that there are two types of suffering. Now, sometimes people act like all suffering is the same, and they would say, well, there's great suffering, and all, all suffering is the same. Well, I want you to know that's not so. There is suffering for being right. There is suffering for being righteous, for being good. There is suffering for no cause of your own. Or there is suffering for injustice. You do not deserve to suffer, and yet you are found suffering. That's one type of suffering. And then there is just suffering, which means you deserve to suffer. It means you've brought your suffering upon yourself. Now listen to me, you make terrible decisions, you make bad decisions, you're going to suffer. If you ignore the wisdom of God and you decide, I'm going to do what I want, to the neglect of the word of God, oftentimes you're going to suffer. Let me say this, and I think we need to be sure and understand this. Sometimes, many times, we do people a disservice if we go in and lift the suffering off of them that might have led those people to reconsider, that might have led those people to repent, to, to, to go in there and lift the suffering off somebody that would have taught them a lesson that they needed to learn. Sometimes suffering is a great teacher. Many times, I'll tell you, some of the greatest things I've learned were in times of great suffering. And so sometimes we do folks a disservice if their suffering is a consequence for their decisions. And we come in and say, let me fix that for you. Let me get that off of you. So understand tonight, not all suffering is the same. Now, I'll just tell you, I can think of a lot of examples right here. But sometimes I'll watch people, hopefully these aren't you, and they'll be moving right along in their life, and they'll buy a house they can't afford. And I don't know, whatever, they justify it. They buy a house they can't afford, and then they buy, before you know it, two cars, three cars that they cannot afford. They can't afford those cars. And then they buy clothes that they can't afford. Their kids are going out. They're wearing clothes that they can't afford. They, these folks, they've got the house and the cars and the clothes. They take trips that they cannot afford. They eat at all the places that you can't afford. You know what? It's no shame to say, I can't afford that. They take all these pictures. They post all of these pictures. And then when you find them, they say, oh, we're stressed out. Oh, it's bad. The economy's so bad. Inflation's killing us. Oh, we're, we're stretched so thin. We're in a terrible spot. Oh, that God would help us in our suffering. Then to make the matters worse, the government comes in and forgives their debts. You have no school loans. Most of the time, listen, I'm going to be honest. Most of the time, we are the cause of much of our suffering. 
And you know what? Suffering comes with a consequence, and that consequence is to teach us. Most of the time, we are the cause of much of our suffering. And let me tell you this. God has a remedy for that as well. He is gracious in that. If we'll repent, if we'll seek forgiveness, he'll restore, he'll renew. He has a remedy for that. But that's not the suffering it's talking about right here. It says, but for unjust suffering, for suffering for the cause of Christ, the Bible says if we patiently endure it, again, it finds favor with God. If we patiently endure it, it finds favor with God. Again, the kindness of God. Now, there's a couple of things I want to show you right here. And the first is this. Notice it says, if we patiently endure it. Now, we're suffering wrongly. We're suffering not for doing the, for the wrong thing, but for doing the right thing. If we patiently endure it. Now, what that means is this. It will end. It will end. There'll be a day that you'll pass through it. There'll be a day that you come out the other side of it, and it will come to an end. Now, I love this about Peter. He always holds up that hope. There's coming a day when it's not going to be like this. For a follower of Jesus Christ, the best days are still ahead. It won't always be this way. It will come to an end. That's the first thing we see. The second thing we see is this. It says, if you do that, it finds favor with God. Now, what does that mean? It finds favor with God. Well, for it to find favor with God, here's what it means. God sees it. God knows it. And sometimes nobody else knows. And sometimes we go to bed at night and we go, oh, I can't believe the situation I'm in. I can't believe the things that folks have done to me. I can't believe some of the things that have turned against me. And I can't believe nobody knows this and nobody's come to my aid. Listen to me. God knows it and God sees it. And then here's this. And God is honored in it. You know what? Nobody has to know. You know what? God is honored in it. Now, I'm going to be real right here. And I'll just, I'll just be very real. Even hearing that, even knowing that, I want to tell you that's hard. And I want to tell you that's not fair. For a person to do the right thing and to suffer for that is not fair. That doesn't make any sense, and I don't care what you say. That is hard. I know what the verses say. That's not right to suffer for doing the right thing. That is hard for suffering for doing what is right. It is hard. And so guess what? We have an example. We have an example. Verse 21, let's go on. For you have been called for this purpose. Since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. It starts off and it says this, for you have been called for this purpose. What is this purpose? What are we called to? For you are called for this purpose. What are we called to, folks? I want you to look at this. I want you to read it. It is suffering. That's actually what the Word of God says. We are called to suffering. Now, people deny that. People get mad at that. People reject that. They hate that. They say, oh, don't you speak that. Listen, that is the biblical truth. I want you to be sure and hear this. And listen, we're going into tough times, I believe. 
I believe these are the last days before Jesus comes again. And I believe we're going into tough times. And we better be sure of these things. Let me tell you some things you better listen. First is this. You will suffer for your affiliation with Christ Jesus. In our world, and I believe progressively so, you will suffer for your affiliation with Christ Jesus if they know you're a believer, if they can find you're a believer, if they associate you with the truth of Jesus Christ, you will suffer. You will suffer for your affiliation with Christ Jesus. Second thing is this, and the Bible's plain. You will suffer for the spread of the gospel. You will suffer for the spread of the gospel. That's been all the way through the New Testament. I believe that's escalating in our day. If the gospel of Jesus Christ is going to be preached, if people are going to hear it, it's going to happen through great suffering. You will suffer for the spread of the gospel. Second thing is this, and it is so true. You will suffer for your rejection of the world. You will suffer for your rejection of the world, which means this. When you say, you know what? That's not of God. That's not right. That's not something I can embrace. Not, that's not something I can adhere to. You will suffer for your rejection of the world. When you reject the world, you're condemning the world in their sin. You will suffer for your rejection of the world. And it is not a surprise. God says it will happen. Tonight, hear me. If you stand for Christ, you will suffer. Why doesn't, I thought this was going to be a good Wednesday night. That sounds pretty tough. Yet, we have the example of Jesus. All right, let's look at this. The Bible says, leaving you an example to follow in his steps. And so you may be perplexed tonight. This, this doesn't seem to make sense. What do we do? What do we do? We follow Jesus. We do what Jesus did. You want to know what to do? Do what Jesus did. For you have been called for this purpose. Since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. Verse 22. Who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. Verse 22 is a quotation from Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53 is a chapter often entitled, The Suffering Servant. It is describing our Messiah, Jesus, and it is entitled, The Suffering Servant. Now let me tell you this, when I read Isaiah 53, when I think about this truth, but especially reading Isaiah 53, that is the strangest thing ever. When I read about the truth of our Messiah, when I read about our suffering servant, the Creator who suffers. That's crazy. The God who sacrifices. The, the Messiah who is rejected. The king who is beaten. That's the strangest thing ever. Verse 22. Who committed no sin nor was any deceit found in his mouth. Here's what it says. This Savior, our example he never sinned, not one sin. He never lied, not one lie. Now, you're talking about suffering unjustly for not, for not doing anything, for doing the right thing. Our Savior, the Bible says, never sinned, not one sin. He never lied, not one lie told. Verse 23. 
And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to, to him who judges righteously. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. The word revile there in the original language means to heap abuse upon. It is a heavy word. It is a weighty word. To rail at, to heap abuse upon. It says while being reviled, while abuse was being heaped on him, he does not strike back. He does not seek revenge. It says he did not revile in return. It says, while suffering, he uttered no threats. I want you to remember this tonight, and I want us to see this tonight. I think we forget this. I think we read this account, and we talk about the gospel, and we hear these things, and I think if we're not careful, we forget this. We need to be sure of this. Jesus suffered for our salvation. Sometimes we think, well, I don't know, he, you know he's not like us. Jesus suffered for our salvation, real suffering. His family rejected him. His brothers scorned him. His friends, Peter, deserted him. His nation hated him. His own creation killed him. And I want to tell you, when we, we start to talk about the, the suffering of Christ, we miss a whole bunch of this. You know what? He is embarrassed. He is stripped naked. His beard is pulled out of his face. And he is whipped, and he is whipped, and he is whipped. The Bible says they struck him in the face. They take a crown of thorns, and they push it into his head. He is nailed through. Now, don't, don't forget about that. Look at your hands for just a second. Look at your hands for just a second. He is nailed through, nailed to the cross of Calvary through his ankle bones. It is nailed through. And the Bible says, and while suffering, he uttered no threats, not one threat. He didn't say anything under his breath. Here's what he said. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. God knows, the Father knows, God has not lost control, and he trusts the Father. Let me tell you something tonight, we have to trust the Father. Things may be tough, and they, they may be tough for you. Things may be hard for you, but let me tell you something. In the example of Jesus, we trust the Father. A couple of times... I don't know if I have a hobby, but this may have become my hobby. A couple of times I've talked about finding a one-verse gospel. And that's kind of become a thing. Find a verse that when you read that verse, you know the gospel. John 3.16, Romans 5.8. Uh, we passed one the other day. Find a verse that when you read that verse, it explains the gospel. Guess what? I think we have another one in verse 24. Listen to this. And he himself, Jesus, and he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross 
so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed. Listen to verse 24, and he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed. And he himself bore our sins. The word bore here in the original language means carried, to bear up under. See this tonight, Jesus takes our sin. And the Bible says, and he becomes our sin. Why? That he might carry our sin to the cross of Calvary. Do you see how this is starting to fit together? He becomes our sin, that he might bear up under our sin to carry our sin to the cross of Calvary. See that tonight. My sin, your sin, Jesus becomes them to carry them to the cross. Why? So that we might die to sin. The word die translates departing from, departing from. Follow with me here. Jesus dies for sin. Jesus dies as sin so that we might die to sin. That's what the verse means. Jesus dies for sin. Jesus dies as sin so that we might die to sin. That means us as followers of Christ, we have in Christ died to the penalty for sin. We have died to the condemnation for sin. Therefore, there is no condemnation for he who is in Christ Jesus. We have died to the bondage of sin and we depart from sin. Hear that, listen to me. In the person of Jesus Christ, my sin has been dealt with. In the person of Jesus Christ, my sin has been paid for. In the person of Jesus Christ, my terrible, sorry sin has been punished. And I want you to notice something in this verse, and none of it was done by me. I didn't pay for it. I didn't satisfy it. It was done in Jesus. Jesus died my death paying for my sin. Goes on, it's the full gospel, listen to this. We might die to sin, here's the rest of the gospel, and live to righteousness, and live to righteousness. Get this, the gospel of our redemption, the gospel comes through death, but I want you to hear this, it also ends in life. The gospel goes through death, it also ends in life. And I want to tell you tonight the reality is this. You cannot live in righteousness until you have died to sin. That is a prerequisite. You cannot live in righteousness until you have died to sin. But in Jesus, I have died to sin. And so the fullness of the gospel is now I live in righteousness. That's what the verse says. Listen, that is a beautiful picture tonight. Here I stand, condemned to death, and rightly so. But here I am, standing in life because of Jesus. Here I stand, condemned in my unrighteousness, but here I am, standing, wearing the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. Now he goes back here and he quotes Isaiah again. 
for by his wounds you were healed. Past tense. For by his wounds you were healed. I, I, I want to do something right here. I'm going to go to Isaiah 53, and I'm going to read the entire chapter. And I want you to listen to these words. And I want you to hear how many of these words show up in what Peter just said. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of parched ground. He had no stately former majesty that we should look upon him, no appearance that we should be attracted to him. This is talking about our Savior. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and like one from whom men hide their face. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. We did not give him any value. Surely our griefs he himself bore. Do you recognize the word? He himself bore. And our sorrows, oh, the sorrows that we stand under, he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging we are healed. There it is. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Do you recognize that? Like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before his shears. So he did not even open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living. But the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due... His grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was with a rich man in his death because he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Do you hear that? But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the booty with the strong, because he poured out himself to death, and he was numbered with transgressors. Yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. Let me read verses 24 and 25 now. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness for by his wounds you were healed. Verse 25. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Jesus suffered unjustly, no sin of his own, he bears up under the weight of our sin. He carries it to the cross of Calvary. There he pays for it, offering us by faith the forgiveness of our sin, healing in him. That is our gospel. There's one last picture of our Savior here, one last picture of our example. Jesus is the suffering servant. He is our example. 
But we close tonight, and he's also the great shepherd. He's the strong and kind shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. And then watch this. To people who are suffering for the cause of righteousness, for people who've been unfriended, people who've been abandoned, people who are dismayed, Peter calls him the guardian of our souls. Do you hear that tonight? He is the guardian of our souls. And I want to tell you tonight, no matter the threat of life, no matter the cost of following Jesus, no matter the circumstance of life, listen to me, we are safe in the arms of Jesus. That's what he says. We're safe in the arms of Jesus. Here's the encouragement tonight. The first is this. Turn to the shepherd. He suffered. He's paid for your sin. He offers you the forgiveness of your sin by faith in him. The first encouragement tonight is this. If you never trusted Jesus, turn to the shepherd tonight. He's paid for your sin. He offers you forgiveness, restoration, renewal, redemption, secured in his own blood. If you've never trusted Jesus, turn to the shepherd tonight. Second encouragement tonight is this. If you have, listen to me, stand. If you have, stand. Our example is Jesus. In these days, there may be no more needed encouragement than this. We're going to have to stand for Jesus. Listen, in his example, we stand with Jesus. Let us stand. Let me pray. Let me follow. We come tonight and we praise you. We come tonight and we thank you. I'm thankful for your words, and I'm thankful for a beautiful picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thankful for an example to follow in hard times. Lord, I pray that we'd be faithful. I pray that we would stand, and as time, as time gets harder, as the clock grows short, as the pressure is mounting, as the world is swirling in wickedness, Lord, let us stand for the truth of a risen Savior. Lord, help us endure pointing to your truth, holding up your name. And then, Lord, I pray for some that do not know you. I pray for some in this room that are tired of the guilt of sin, tired of the condemnation, the weight, the shame of sin. I pray, Lord, that tonight they would set it down. They would turn to you, the perfect Lamb of God. They would receive you in faith. Be forgiven tonight. I pray, Lord, for others listening in another way tonight. I, I pray the same thing. They've been encouraged to stand. If they don't know you, they've been encouraged to turn to the shepherd, the Savior. And I pray that all this bears much fruit for your name, for your glory. We ask that you move as we close out this service. We trust it to you, and I pray in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to close with a time of response, a time of invitation. And I want to tell you a couple of things. First off is this. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can be saved tonight. If you're here and you say, you know what, I'm tired of my sin, tired of the weight of my sin, tired of trying to hide my sin, tired of the, of the shame that comes with it. I want to tell you, Jesus has already paid for it. That's what we see here. He's made the remedy, made the way. It is finished at the cross of Calvary. The Bible says this, if you will trust him as the remedy for your sin, as the Savior, if you'll turn to him repenting from your sin, turning to Christ, if you'll trust him as the Savior, he'll forgive you tonight. He'll, he'll restore you in your relationship with him tonight. He will give you his righteousness to wear tonight if you'll trust him. If you've never done that, do that tonight. He'll save you. Now, if you need more information, you come. Let's settle this. Don't walk out of here. Don't try to, to bristle up and say, you know what, I'll carry it a little bit further. 
You settle it tonight. You come. Let's take care of that tonight. If you're here and you've trusted Christ, never fought in believer's baptism, what an awesome time to say, well, I want to testify to what we believe of Christ. The Bible says it's always by immersion, and it's always after we're saved, not part of our salvation. It's always after it. It's a picture of what we believe in Christ. If you've trusted Christ but never fought in believer's baptism, what an awesome day. What a needed testimony to say, this is what we believe of Jesus. You come, and it'll be a great day of celebration. We'll set that day, and it'll be a testimony to Christ. If you're looking for a church home, you've prayed about it, and you believe God has led you here, you come as well. Together we'll serve his purpose, preaching his word for his glory till he comes again. Maybe you're here and you say, you know what, God, I want to stand. I want to stand. God, help me stand. Maybe you want to come pray at an altar. Maybe you want to come pray with me. Maybe you're dealing with something all the way different. Nothing is too big. Nothing's too small. You can pray where you're at. You can come pray at an altar. You can pray with me. I'm going to ask that no one would stir about or head for an exit. You pray for those who are making decisions. As we stand to sing, you step out and you come on.